great to have all of you here today. And for those of you who are joining us across our other campuses and venues, awesome to have you joining us as well. We took a big step forward last week in being able to connect to all of our campuses and syncing up our service times. For, so thanks for all the, the changes and adjustments that many of you made to make that possible. It's a great thing for us to be able to communicate as one church together across all of our campuses. And if you missed last week, we started a sermon series entitled, This Is Us, talking about who we are as a church and what we do together and, and where we do that. And we started in a great way last week by honoring the Callum family. And so if you did miss that, that I wanna encourage you to go back and watch it online. It was an incredible experience of worship together as a community, and we definitely want you to, to see that and participate in it. We're going to continue the series today, This Is Us. Our text is going to be from Ephesians chapter 3. So if you have your scriptures, I want to encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3 with me across all of our campuses and venues. And if you need a, a copy of the scriptures, be sure to raise your hand or look in front of you, wherever you might be. We have a copy for you. We want you to have that um, today. It's Ephesians chapter 3, specifically verses 14 through 21. And as you're getting there, let me just do a little bit of uh, family news here. Uh, as a part of our series, we are going to announce the name of our church. And so at the end of this series, the weekend of February 9th and 10th, we'll have news on that. And so we're working very hard, a team of us, to put that together. We've, we've come up with a name. It's a great name. It's simple. It's bold. It points to our purpose. Very excited to share that with you. Please don't ask me. I'm afraid I'm going to slip. Um, so I'm really excited to share it. But we're, right now we're working on the look and feel and logos and um, color palettes and all that fun stuff. And we have a great group of people working on that. So February 9th and 10th, we'll talk about that and just wanted to, to let you know. Let me give a little bit of context for our passage from the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul writes the church at Ephesus. And the theme of the book of Ephesians is the word unity. Paul wants the church at Ephesus to know that they are united now uh, because, number one, Jesus has united all creation to himself. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul teaches that, that everything in heaven and on the earth, Jesus is now united to himself. So he wants the church to know that they're, they're united because of what Jesus has done and, and bringing all of creation to himself, but also that Jesus has united all what? All people all people from all nations to himself and to one another in this thing called the church, that God has united people together in the church, the household of God, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. And so Paul writes this letter somewhere around A.D. 62, and again, he wants the church to understand that they are now united because of the work of Jesus, not only united to God, but united to one another. And the basis for this, of course, is the renewing work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only through the gospel that we can experience unity with God and with one another. Paul wants to emphasize this in the first century, and the same is true in the 21st century. The gospel of Jesus is the basis for it all. It's God's love for us that allows us to now love one another. In fact, the word love, this type of love that God has for us and that we're meant to have for one another, is the Greek word agape. Have you heard that word before? The word agape is this type of love. It describes the type of love that God wants with us and with one another. And it's only possible because of Jesus. In fact, Paul uses the word agape in this letter uh, to the church at Ephesus more than any other book in the New Testament, barring 1 Corinthians and 1 John. He wants to make a point that unity is only possible because of the love of Jesus. 
And when we come to our text today and follow along with me here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, the text that we come to here and this theme of unity is Paul's second great prayer that he prays for the church. He prays for the church at Ephesus, and it's a prayer that we can continue to pray today. It's a, it's a prayer that focuses on the believers knowing the power of God's love that unites them and the power of the same love that unites them with one another in unity. So let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love and agape may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. What an incredible prayer of unity through the love of Jesus. Most commentators agree about this passage, this second great prayer that Paul prays here in Ephesians 3. Most of them agree that verses 17 through 19 in the prayer is the pinnacle. It's the summation of Paul's great uh, encouragement and prayer for the church. And so look at those verses again with me specifically, verses 17 through 19 in the prayer here in Ephesians chapter 3. And listen to these phrases again for your own heart in your own journey. Verse 17, Paul begins by saying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Through faith. Not through your works, not through your good looks, as good looking as all of you are, not through anything that you could do, but only through faith. The closest word that we have in the English language for the type of faith that Paul is describing here is the word trust. That we trust God, not in ourselves, but in the completed work of Christ on our behalf, and this is the gospel. We come to know the love of Jesus not through our works or our efforts or our striving or our yearning, but through our simple childlike trust and belief in what Jesus has accomplished for us. The gospel is simply this, and we need to remind ourselves and preach it to ourselves every single day, that through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, God has fully accomplished salvation for us. Paul says, may you know this, and may it dwell deep within your hearts through faith. Jesus wants to live, he wants to dwell, he wants to embody your very hearts in your life. And so reading this text, we're reminded from this prayer that Paul prays for the church that we don't come to the church on the weekend to visit Jesus. We are the church. And Jesus goes with us because he dwells in our hearts wherever we may go. And I think you would agree with me that we live in a world that desperately needs to know this type of love. And you are meant to be the agents, 
the ones who carry this love through your own hearts because of the dwelling of Christ within you to a world that needs to see and experience this same type of love. Paul continues by saying that you would be rooted and grounded in what? In agape, in this love that unites us. We live in a world that is constantly changing, isn't it? It's difficult to know what we can count on and who we can count on. Am I alone in that or are you with me? It's hard to know. And what happens as soon as you count on something or someone, a job or a career or a relationship or a situation, what happens? It changes. And Paul wants to, to, on his tiptoes, say to the church, there's only one person that you can count on, and his name is Jesus. You can be rooted. You can have both feet firmly rooted and planted only in the love of Jesus. And that's what God desires for each and every one of us. So many people today feel like they're slipping in their life. As soon as they grasp something, it slips away and it changes. They want to be rooted and they want to be grounded. And yet they chase all kinds of different things. Many of us do the same thing. Searching for that, that groundedness, that, that rootedness that only can come from a relationship with Christ. Paul says that you would be able to comprehend with all the church, all the saints. And Paul uses this phrase, all the saints, 11 different times in his letters in the New Testament. I had a professor that one time said, Chris, all means all, and that's all all means. All means all, and that's all all means. It's everybody. So he's not differentiating different churches or different levels of different Christians. He's saying it's all the church. Everyone who calls and believes on Jesus, everyone who is a follower of Christ is the church. That you would be able to comprehend with everybody in the church what is the breadth and the the length and the, the height and the depth of the riches of Christ that are yours. In other words, that you would be able to continue to plumb the depths and the dimensions of all that Jesus has for you and your life. And here's my word for each and every one of you. No matter where you may be on the spectrum of belief, some of you have been following Jesus for years and years. Some of you are new in your relationship with Jesus, and some of you are still exploring what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And we're so glad that you're here. Wherever you might be on the spectrum of your belief and following Jesus, there's always another step for you to take to know him more. Every day that you're alive is a day for you to know Jesus more to take a step further in your relationship with Jesus. You never finish. It's always discovering more and comprehending the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, the, all the dimensions that Christ offers to each and every one of you today. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me and on you. And aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad for that? And then I love what Paul does here in verse 19. Follow with me. This is a play on words. He says, and that you would know the love, the agape of Christ that surpasses what? Knowledge. That you would know something that surpasses knowing something. That's what Paul says. And basically what he, what he wants to communicate to the church and to each and every one of us is that you can know a lot about God. Stick with me here. You can know a lot of things about God and not know God. You can believe a lot of things about God and not really believe God. Do you hear the difference? 
Even the demons believe. Even the demons know. You can know a lot of things, you can believe a lot of things and not really know and not really believe and make it your own. And Paul says, my prayer, my plead with each and every one of those, you is that you would, you would know. You would know a love that surpasses all knowledge. That you would experience it for yourself. And then here's the goal. That you would be filled with the fullness of God. To the brim with Jesus. Now here's the truth, and we're, we're getting to know each other, and I know that I'm a new voice for many of you, but here's the truth. You can either be full of yourself, or you can be full of God. And we could categorize it in a lot of different ways and use a lot of different words, but at the end of the day, you can be full of yourself, or you can be full of what Paul describes here, the fullness of God. All that God has for you. Many of us have gone through life trying to fill our hearts and our lives with different things that will never fill us, that will never fill us, not in the way that Paul describes here, because your heart was made to be filled with the love and the riches of Christ, to know your purpose and your destiny as a person, that God had you in mind before the world was ever created, and if he pulled his wallet out, your picture would be in there that he loves you that much. And there's nothing in this world that can ever fill your heart like the fullness of Christ and knowing and experiencing him. Paul says, yes, yes, church, I want you to experience this in every dimension possible. And then we come to the, the close of Paul's prayer here in Ephesians 3. Follow along with me. Verses 20 and 21. This is known as the doxology of the prayer. The word doxology comes from two Greek words that become a compound word, doxa meaning glory and logos meaning word. And so it's literally a, a word expression of glory. The glory of God expressed in word form. And that's what Paul does here in verses 20 and 21. And this doxology that Paul gives shifts the focus from the recipients of the letter, the church, each of us, to God, the one who's over all of it, and that it's all about anyway. Gang, it's always been about God, not about us. It's always been about him. And verse 20 here can literally be translated to the one who is able to do beyond everything, listen to this, far in excess of that which we ask or think. The way I would say that, and I hope it's a phrase that becomes a part of our church together for years to come, the way I would describe that type of prayer, that description that Paul gives in verse 20 is only God. Something that only God can do. Only God can reconcile sinners like you and me to himself. Are you with me? Only God could take people like us and change us and make us a new creation. Only God could do that. Only God could work in the hearts of people in the first century and in the 21st century just the same to, to manifest that same type of love for one another, to be united to one another. Other people that include opposite end of the spectrum types of people, not just people who are like you, but people who are very different from you. Think about it in the context to the audience that Paul's writing to specifically in the first century. These are Jews and Gentiles, opposite end of the spectrum type of people. And Paul's saying, now because of Jesus, you are one. You have been united. Only God could do that. 
And if first century Jews and Gentiles can live together as one body of Christ, two churches in Charlotte can do the same. And more than that. And the church is the central context of this prayer, isn't it? Because God's glory is manifest in his church, in his people. It's the place of his praise. The church is not a building. The church is a people. It's you and me, people who are followers of Jesus. And praise is given to God for the genuine reconciliation. And the word reconciliation is not just the secession of hostility. It is the complete unification between us and God. So praise is given for this genuine reconciliation that has happened between God and people and between God's people only because of Jesus. God is most glorified. Listen to this. God is most glorified through that which he loves the most. You and me. People. And so Paul's doxology, this incredible statement here, also serves as a, as a transition in the book of Ephesians from the doctrinal portion of Paul's letter, which is chapters 1 through 3, to the second half of the letters, chapters 4 through 6, which is the application. And this is so appropriate, right? Because doctrine always becomes ethic. What you believe will ultimately inform how you behave. What's down in the bucket comes up in the well. What's down in the bucket of your heart comes up in the well. Through your actions, through your words, the way that you live, what you believe informs how you behave. And Paul knows this. This is what he's writing to. He starts with what we should believe and then how that should apply to our lives. And if we believe, church, if we believe in this only God type of power that Paul describes here, specifically in verses 20 and 21 in Ephesians 3, then we must live and behave accordingly, right? Let's be a church, let's be a church together that believes for things that only God can do. Let's pray prayers together, prayers that things only God, it can't be described in any other way, things that only God could do. And let me challenge you in your own life, because each of you carries in your own situations and your burdens and your hurts and your pain and things that are happening in the season of your life. And my guess is that many of you have situations right now where you're going, if God doesn't come through, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Maybe I'm through. And God's office, let me just remind you, beloved, God's office is at the end of your rope. When you're finished with yourself and you're done with your own efforts, that's when God can do his most powerful work. When those only God miracle stories and happenings can occur. Let's be a church that trusts God in that way. That believes God for his word, takes him at his word and things that only he can do. The truth is that we are completely and utterly dependent on God anyway. We always have been. We're sitting here today across all of our campuses and all of our venues. Where you're sitting today is a result, a direct result of these types of prayers that have been prayed. Only God prayers and only God trust. You're sitting here today because of what another generation was able to do and what another group of people, the prayers that they were able to pray and trusting God. It's, this is a result of those prayers and that trust. 
We're literally sitting here today because of that. Church at Charlotte, many of you remember this, but Church at Charlotte began in 1973. You know the story, many of you. Some of you were here. It began with a small group of families that had a a dream for the city and a vision for God working in a powerful way to lift up Jesus and to see more people come to know Jesus, the same love that we're talking about today. The church started in Carmel Middle School. Go Cougars. I was a Cougar. I went to Carmel. 1973, then bought the the South Park property, 10 acres on Carmel Road, and built a building, a a group of people that that just trusted God in big ways to do something that only he could do. And I love the story uh, I was told this week by a a family that was was here and was a part of all that and prayed those prayers and and believed God for these big things, that they cut trees down on the South Park property and sold the wood to, to, to go back to the church. I love that. After the first building was constructed uh, on the South Park campus, uh, there was a debt that was owed to a vendor. Some of you know this story. Uh, The debt was $28,000, and the church didn't have the money. This was 1981. And so uh, there was an offering that was taken, and the church uh, gathered together and brought in their offering, and the first two gifts that were put in the offering plate that morning in 1981 were from two children who brought their piggy banks in. And trusted God, going all in for his kingdom work here in the city. And the church collected the money and continued on. And later on that year, they they called a pastor that, by his own admission last week, didn't meet the qualifications. But God qualified him and used him in a powerful way to bring his kingdom here to this city in incredible ways for over 40 years. Over and over and over again, people just like us trusting God for things that only he could do. And all those prayers and that trust led to countless partnerships globally and partnerships in the city to serve and and another campus, Matthews East now, that's meeting today. And, And for those of you sitting there right now, all of this was a product of people who believed God and trusted him for what only he could do in his miraculous work. New Charlotte Church was started in our living room. I remember that one. In 2010, we had a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a newborn upstairs when we started the church. We had $500 in our bank account. I had a lot of nights looking at the ceiling fan going, what in the world have I done? What have I done? I read this passage, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, to that small group that gathered in our home that night. And we trusted God for what he could do in this city and building his church and his kingdom here. Then we moved to a neighborhood clubhouse. Someone in the, the group offered a neighborhood pool house, and we met there. And we outgrew that, and then someone in the group said, we have a space on Monroe Road that we'd like you to come and look at. We think it could be a place for our church. And I remember walking into the space on Monroe Road and looking at it, and, and we didn't have any place, but I remember saying to the gentleman, thank you so much, we're going we're gonna to keep looking. So that tells you the, the state of that place. Uh, it was just used as a storage facility for 20-plus years. It was built, the building was in the Kennedy administration. And I remember there was a porcelain tub in the middle of the room. I don't know how it got there, but there was a white porcelain tub in the middle of the room and just all kinds of stuff. 
And you know what? God just kept bringing our team back to that place that God wanted to do something in that place, in that location. And so we trusted God and prayed prayers that only God could, could come through on. And, 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 and so we started there. And I remember in the first year, we had grown to about 300 people in the first year. And we had a place and it was an incredible thing. And, and a gentleman called me and said, someone from the city came and visited today. And he was from the inspector's office, and that's never a good thing. <laughs> and uh, he left you a letter. And I remember opening up the letter, and it was a 30-day eviction notice. And unbeknownst to us, we were just renting the space. Um, the owners hadn't brought the building up to assembly space code. And so we had 30 days to get it together. And I remember going down and meeting with some of the city officials downtown and the building that we met in was right next to the jail and that wasn't lost on me. And I remember them saying, you know, pastor, you got to get your building up to code or you're not going to be able to be there in 30 days. So I remember standing up in front of a group of people and saying, we've got to raise 350 plus thousand dollars to bring our church up to code. And it was nothing, you know, nothing extravagant. And we we're talking about, you know, just uh, fire hydrants and stuff like that that had to be put into place. And we did, couldn't do a campaign. It had to be raised immediately. We had to do it, have it in, in, in a six-week time span. And, and the church sacrificed and gave, and we collected the money. And we were able to stay there. Something that only God could have done, and we continued the journey. And then a couple years later, uh, the church had grown, and we collected enough money to buy that building and to buy the building across the street. And we renovated the building and continued the journey together. In times of transition, and I know this is a time of transition, I know it is, and I know for many of you across all of our campuses, for each church, there's questions about what's going to happen and what's going to change but in times of transition and change especially, when we want to know what God is saying, we have to church. We have to go back to what? To what God has said. When we want to know what God is saying, we've got to go back to what God has said. In your own life, when you want to know what God is saying to you, you've got to go back to what God has already said. In times of transition or change or when we're uncertain and we want to know what God is doing, we've got to go back to what? What has God done when I ask what God is doing and when we collectively ask what is God doing bringing these two churches together and what's going to happen, what has God done? And when we look back on the stories of our churches and all the only God moments and all that God has done, we should not be filled with confidence in ourselves, but we should be filled with confidence in the all-sufficient power of Christ working in and through us. We stand today on the shoulders of men and women and children who trusted God in only God types of ways, who believed him and took him at his word. An incredible privilege that we have to continue this story because God has seen fit to ask us, to ask each and every one of us to be a part of this new only God story. And this story didn't happen last summer when we first started talking about bringing our churches together. And it didn't start in 2010 when New Charlotte started. And it didn't start in 1973 when Church at Charlotte start, started. This story started before the ages even began. Uh, oh, yes. Listen to this passage from 2 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10. This is our text for next week, by the way. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God 
who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Listen to these words. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before there was a single generation on the earth, God was already working to bring about his great redemption plan through Jesus. And now the same power, Paul says, is now at work in us, the church, his followers. It's at work within us to bring him glory in the church and throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The truth is, one day, the chapter that is our own lives and our own stories will be over. It's hard to believe it, but it will be. Billy Graham was once asked, what's the greatest surprise in your life? And without hesitation, he answered with one word, brevity. The brevity of life. It goes by so quick. The chapters of our own lives will be over. And whatever role, whatever role that God has seen fit to use us for in the story of bringing two churches together, New Charlotte and Church at Charlotte, to form one new church, whatever role that we've played, however we've participated, however we've prayed, that will be complete. The sun will set on our generation. And it will dawn on a new generation. Let's pray together today, church, that the next generation can look back upon our successes and our many stumbles, and they can see beyond all of it our total dependence on God. And may they be encouraged in their own stories and in their own lives that it has always been, because here's the truth, it's always been, And it will always be only God. Only God. To him alone be the glory today. Amen. Here's the application. You've got a card on your seats or in front of you across all of our campuses and venues. You've got a card. I'd like you to take it out with me. On the front, it just has the sermon series that we're in right now and the picture of our two churches, our logos. But here's the important part on the back. Our two words today, only God. And then the doxology that we just went through, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, is, is printed right here for each and every one of you. And there's a couple of prompts for prayer here. And it's just our purpose statement as a church together. Our new purpose statement going forward. To be a community of Christ followers, bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world. And in that purpose statement, it answers the question who we are and what we do and where we're going. And I would just love and I would ask you to take this card and place it in your Bibles or on your mirrors or wherever you can see it every single day. And that you would read this scripture and that you would use this as a prompt to pray for our church and to pray prayers that only God can answer. That we would trust God and believe him and take him at his word. Would you do that? All right, let's pray together. Now to him who is able 
to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.